The last thing you want is for something to go wrong with your plumbing, but it happens a lot. And the last thing you want when there's water spraying all over your kitchen or your toilet is overflowing is looking up reviews on which plumber you should call. So let me save you some time. Call the art of plumbing. They're always on time. They can locate the problem and fix it right away. They even help with solutions to stop any future problems. Save time. Call the art of plumbing today. 541-951-9405. change with broken strings and worn out souls. Hues of gold and some with wings. Some are old, some under soul. Welcome into Other People's Shoes. Of course, you know I'm your host, Neil Matthews. I gotta say, we're living in a day and age now where things are just not being talked about. What do I mean by that? Well, today's guest is gonna get into a subject and talk about a subject most people don't feel comfortable talking about. It's lived in the shadows for too long. I hope you will welcome in my guest, of course, an author, and we're gonna get into the book today, but she's an author, she's a mom, She's just an all-around amazing person, but the problem with life is tragedy sometimes comes to play, and that's what we're going to talk about today, is taking away the stereotype, the misconceptions, and the awkwardness of a very, very sensitive topic. Help me welcome in my guest, Danielle Irwin. Danielle, how are you today? Hello, Neil. This is great. I really appreciate you having me on your show. Um, I'm humbled by your introduction. Thank you so much. <laughs> humbled? Well, that's a first. That's usually, that, that, that never happens, actually. I don't think I, I humble people right out of the gate, but but that's awesome. So, uh, so Danielle, you're calling it, or we're talking to you, and you're in the Commonwealth of Virginia. Is that correct? Yes, sir. I'm right up there where everybody else seems to be in Northern Virginia. Um, <laughs> nice. It's really cool. I, uh... I, I, I gotta tell you, I'm kind of struggling a little bit because being a North Carolina fan, we are not big friends with the Virginia Cavaliers. Well, so I'll, I hope that's not going to deter our relationship, well, if it, uh, our working relationship today. So oh, not at all. If it helps at all, I'm actually, um, I was born in Pittsburgh and I grew up in North Carolina. So well, that does help. We're, we're on, that helps a lot. Are you an NC State fan or are you? A, no. Are you a I am a Tar Heel. Oh, I am a Tar Heel, true and true. Uh, oh. In fact, uh, as we get into our first question today, I am actually wearing my light blue uh, Steph Curry shoes, which, you know, they're Under Armour shoes and they're light blue. And so I, I wore those today because on the back of them it says, uh, all things are possible. So there's a little Bible verse on the back of it. But anyway, back to you. Uh, what size shoes do you wear? Well, when I actually wear shoes, um, I'm a size 10. You're a size 10. <laughs> and is there a, a is there a certain brand that we like? I know you're not a shoe girl. We, we kind of talked this pre-show, so uh, so that's fun. What What size shoe or what type of shoe would you wear if you were to wear a shoe? I am a huge fan of wearing flip-flops year-round, <laughs> year-round, unless I'm going for a long walk or unless there's, like, 
um, 10 feet of snow, no, even if there is 10 feet of snow on the ground, which is highly unlikely here in Virginia, um, I, I wear flip-flops. It's, my feet do not like being confined to tennis shoes or dress shoes or anything. I have them. I just don't like to wear them. <laughs> that is... Oh. That is so foreign to me, and I know we talked about that, but that's just weird. <laughs> I know. But that's okay. So today you're going to put on some shoes for us so we can actually, like, be in your shoes, right? That's kind of the idea. We're going to try to put on some shoes today. I'm going to, since I am barefoot, I will, well, bear everything to you guys Nice. Today. Well, well played. Well played indeed. Um, so let's get into this. So you, you, as you, as I alluded to, you are an author now. So let's talk about the book first. What happened with the book? Why did, was the book created and why should people go check it out? Well, so that's a, that's a good question. So I, you know, I'm a mom we had four healthy babies, um, first. And then, you know, I have had a passion for being a doula who, you know, of course loves babies. And because of all this, I thought I was above law. I mean, not in a bad sense. I just thought it wouldn't happen to me. I thought, here I am, this good Catholic mom, loves babies. I lost it and even crossed my mind. And then um, I was 16 and a half weeks pregnant with our fifth. And, I, you know, just things were going south. They started going south two days before Christmas in um, 2017. And then uh, I, lo- I found out I lost him two weeks after New Year's, and we we um, gave birth to him and buried him at 16 and a half weeks, something I never thought would happen to me. And um, it's just like, whoa. So the, the day that I had him, and I'm not a huge reader of poetry, but the day that I had him, I came home, and I got four lines. They just came to me, and I wrote them down because, you know, when you lose somebody or when something happens in life, good or bad, writing about it seems to be a great way to express the emotions that come with it. So those four lines are what started it all. Why then should we mourn when they endless this earthly sojourn, when they leave this life seemingly quaint, to join in heavenly joys and become a saint? Those four lines, those started me trying to get through this. And I had no idea that a book was going to come of this. I just thought, hey, I mean, I ended up writing a poem from that. I had no idea a book would come from that. I just thought, great, this is just something for me. I And I shared it with friends because that was how I expressed my emotions and cries for help and need for comfort. And uh, that was it. I wrote another one, like, two weeks later and it was a short simple one where I had gone through putting baby things away that I thought I was going to you know I was getting them ready you know I was only 16 weeks along but I I get excited for babies I kind of like them and then I didn't write another thing until another couple weeks and it was just these simple little things that were just helping me get through um and it really it was stuff I would share with friends but i never imagined this being something that would get out there until my pastor recommended it one day because I had been forwarding him some of the poems I wrote and he's like one day after church he came up to me and he said you should publish 
that hadn't crossed my mind until he said it. And I'm like, oh, <laughs> um, okay. Uh, so now, uh, yeah, I seek to help other women through these poems, which aren't like typical poems. You don't have to think too hard to figure out what they are talking about. And they also have little introductions to them to kind of give you a little idea of what was going through my mind and in my heart when I wrote them. Um, so that's all out there for, you know, to help women who've gone through this and feel alone. Um, because each poem has, you know, they belong to a section of the book. You know, what could have been? Um, talk about your sanity, anger, faith. You're holding on to something every time you write one of these, or I was anyway. I was holding on to hurt and pain and on to sorrow, different things. And uh, each woman, when she miscarries, she holds on to something. And these just kind of get to the heart of that. For those who don't know, that's that's kind of what we're talking about today. This this foreign topic, this taboo subject of miscarriages. Now, me being a male, I can't give a female perspective on that. I have no point of reference. I don't know what it was like to have life inside me and then life taken from my body. I have no point of reference on that, as I said. And uh, and that's why I'm so encouraged by the fact of Danielle wanting to come on and share her story with us and the idea that there is healing that can come from such a hard and horrific event in a woman's life. And Danielle, would it be safe to say that this event really did scar you in a lot of respects? Oh, it has. I mean, even right now, I still have the fears. I mean, that would be one of the biggest scars. Uh, this huge fear of loss. And it has grown to encompass other areas of my life. Like, I fear losing people close to me. Not that, not just future pregnancies that I may be blessed with, but just people close to me. And so, my book, Holding On, I mean, I'm in general, I'm holding on to everything that I can. So, yes, it has. It's really impacted me. Well, and, and, um, and first off, thanks for sharing what you've shared so far. Now, I know this, but, but just for the sake of our listeners, not only did this happen to you once, this happened a, a time again shortly after this first uh, child left this world, right? Yeah, so um, this one, we... We had, he was born and buried January 17, 2018. And exactly, I, I was, you know, I went and, um, I was induced on January 16th. And on August 15th, um, I had a DNC because another one, I lost another one at eight weeks in a day. Um, the first one was a partial molar, or a partial placental abruption. And the second one was a partial molar pregnancy where the placenta is a tumor. So instead of feeding the baby and stuff like that, it's just a bunch of grape-like fluid-filled sacs. And those ones, you know, the baby's not going to survive. Um, so we lost her. And then actually we had a chemical pregnancy um, in a year and like three months later. So just, just before Christmas of 2019, we had the chemical pregnancy. So it's just one after the other, and that's played into the fear. Now, you mentioned that you have four children already, 
right? Yes. Okay. So, and I know in your faith, and, and maybe much like in my faith, and maybe not, but abortion and things like that and, and birth control just, you know, isn't necessarily on the table, right? Of course not. It's definitely not something we, you know, are allowed to do at all. Um, yeah. Instead, um, there is a thing called natural procreative technology out there. And what they do is they seek to get to the root cause of what, you know, what the problem is. And a lot of times it's progesterone. But as we know, all our hormones play a role in keeping a baby alive, keeping a pregnancy going. And granted, things can happen outside of those levels. Leading up to the pregnancy, you know, um, they really do play a big role in how things happen. I'm not saying I can control life because I'm not God, not the author of life. Things can happen outside of progesterone and estrogen and all that stuff. But we do what we can here on Earth um, to kind of go along with God's plan for us. Well, so let's talk about that. Do you really feel you losing these children was part of God's plan? So, because of original sin, death entered the world. And bad things happen. God doesn't cause them to happen. Um, like, he doesn't say, I'm going to kill you. He is not a God of death. But because of um, original sin, people just get old and die now. And really more of what God is seeking to do, seeking to find out, is what you're going to do with that. Are you going to turn to him in those moments? Or are you going to rely on yourself? Like when Adam and Eve first sinned, did they turn to God in those moments or did they rely on their judgment? And what happened from that? So, um, yeah, God doesn't, I mean, he doesn't, so to speak, cause death. We did that. That was Adam and Eve when they first sinned. Um, I mean, it's kind of a hard topic to explain. <laughs> no, you know, I, I, I get that. But I guess part of my question is, is in those moments, right, I think it's only natural of a person of faith or a person not of faith to play the blame game, right? Maybe, oh, maybe sure. you first started blaming yourself. Maybe you first started blaming, you know, I don't know, insert whomever, right? And then maybe you, you know, when you realize that all those people can't be blamed, you start blaming God, right? Maybe. I mean, I don't know. Oh, I mean, anybody. I was, I was thinking at first, I was like, well, it's because I didn't eat right. Or I was trying to play that game. I was trying to think, what if? All right, what did I eat wrong? What did I do wrong? Was I not good enough of a mom to my kids? Um, did God think, okay, well, you need to learn how to take better care of the four you have before I give you another one? Oh, I went into that. I spiraled into that, and you know what? I still do it. I still think I'm doing something wrong. I still think it's me in control. And I, I play that blame game. I keep thinking it's something I did. Um, to make God not like what I'm doing or to not want to give me another one or, you know, stuff, stuff like that. Um, and that's, that's more me seeking to control things, thinking that it's my fault, thinking I'm in control. And that's just what I've come to figure out with the blame game. 
even though I still do it, even though I need to learn to take my own medicine <laughs> and stop controlling myself or trying to control it. Because there are things outside my control. Um, but being human, yeah, I still blame. I blame me a lot, and I blame God. Um, what? Yeah. What would you say to the women out there who have walked through this experience? Maybe not your exact symptoms on how you lost your children, but let's face it, miscarriages do happen. And and from my understanding and, and the little bit of research that I did, we are seeing more and more miscarriages because of the way technology is now. We can kind of almost pinpoint when a woman is pregnant and pinpoint maybe when, you know, how far along they are and that whole whole thing that comes with it. But do you think there there are women out there right now who are walking in this darkness and this struggle of not only blaming themselves, but, but asking questions of like, why did this happen to me? And carrying around this burden and this guilt of, did I in some way, you know, I mean, let's call it what it is, maybe murder my baby. Oh, yeah. Um, you know, I go back to the heavy emptiness is what I called it. Feeling that place where the baby was and walking around feeling this huge burden of emptiness. And I know, I mean, I know other women have had miscarriages, obviously. And I can't say that I experienced the exact same emotions the way they do. And I won't claim to because everybody's experience is unique. But I can say they, you know, there are those stages of grief denial and all that stuff but there's also the blame it is true it's like um hang on let me go in here i have written a little bit in my book about the stages of grief oh boy i mean we have the bargaining where we you know try and think it's something that we can do we're blaming ourselves we're saying uh it's something i did but maybe if maybe if you god maybe if somebody could do something different um this will change, this will be different, then they do. They think it's something, like I said, like for me, I thought it was something in my control. And so I was blaming, thinking that it would turn out differently. Um, and that blaming leads to the depression. You know, you, you feel like, you know, everybody after the burial or after whatever, a woman, you know, chooses to do after the baby's gone, um, you're left alone. And you have that time there with yourself. And so you, you kind of explore those different areas in your head trying to figure out why it happened. And that's when you go into the blame, like you said. It's just, you know, what do I do now? What can I do? And so you turn to blame. All right, so first got to figure out what happened, so I'm going to blame people, thinking that'll fill me and help me find answers. Because as humans, you know, don't we seek answers? Um, don't we like to know? And so we try, or at least I, I tried to fill that emptiness that I felt, that heavy emptiness. I thought an answer would fill it, you know. I thought if I figured out exactly why, there was the partial placental eruption or partial molar pregnancy or the chemical pregnancy. I figured if I knew why, and I still figure this, that I would be able to get through it easier. Um, and I don't know if that's what other women are trying, but they're, they're grasping for something. 
are seeking a lifeline. Um, and, and through blame, that's kind of one of the ways to, to, to grab the vet help. <laughs> no. Why is pain so, so much of a challenge for us, do you think, that we sometimes can't see past our pain? Well, we're, we're people who we see in the present. And we, like I was saying, you know, anyways, I like to know what's happening. And it's hard for me to be in the now. It's funny because we are fine when it's like excitement and things that are joyful happening. But when it's pain, you want to get over that pain. You know, we don't like the feeling of pain because it hurts. We don't like things that hurt. You know, you stick your hand on the stove out to try and take it away. And so the same, in a sense, with miscarriage. It hurts. It may not be physical pain, like sticking your hand on a hot stove. But there's, um, I forget what it's called. It's named after a Japanese doctor, but it's broken heart syndrome. And it's the thing, your heart literally a week after or two weeks after um, a loss, the walls swell up. And it feels like you're having a heart attack. And I felt it. I felt it twice. I didn't feel it after the chemical pregnancy, but the other two, I did feel it. And it's that pain. Except it's an odd thing. I kind of liked to feel it because it was something. It was a reminder of what I didn't have, but it felt like I still had those babies there with me in that moment. But at the same time, I still sought to escape pain. I still thought to escape that emptiness that hurt and it just wouldn't go away at my will. And that was really hard. I didn't know the future. I didn't know how long it would last. We, we seek a timeline for these things because we just want it to go away. We like to feel joy and happiness. Um, and that's what we were made for, joy and happiness. But those also sometimes come through our trials once we get through them. Or learn to walk with them. <clears throat> I I think all that is is so just so insightful in the fact that you can one share that and be willing to share that. And I guess that leads into my next kind of thought is why do you think women don't want to talk about it and, and are afraid to talk about it and maybe don't have an outlet to talk about it? Well, um, so before, before I wrote anything, um, there were a few books out there. Uh, miscarriage is slowly but surely becoming less taboo. Um, but it's still one of those things that are hard to talk about because, well, I, when you miscarry, it's hard to find the words. But then when you do find the words, people who are listening to you don't know what to say. I mean, there are plenty of things to say, you know, like, I'm sorry for your loss. Um, but a lot of times people, me included, I definitely struggle with it. Um, try to figure out what the right thing is. The truth is there's nothing there that's going to make it feel better. There's nothing there that's going to, um, help the pain go away. And it's hard because we want to help people's pain go away. I mean, you know, for, for example, like, um, if you have a computer and it breaks or something breaks on it, you take it to the help desk, they can fix it. It's something concrete. This is something 
you can't take to a help desk and have them fix a part and voila, you go home good as new. Um, it's something you carry with you. And people aren't used to a burden like that being spoken of um, and them not having an answer for it. I'm sorry, I don't know if this makes any sense. <laughs> um, it's hard for people to fix it, and so it's hard for them to really know what to say or want to say anything because they're afraid of saying something wrong. Well. I think for me, the classic line, no matter the situation, whether it be again and again, thank you so much for, for giving us some, some additional insight. But I think the, the thing for me that I get stuck on and I've been guilty of it. So I'm, I'm sure others have as well is again, what do you say? What's the right thing to say? What's the wrong thing to say? And it, it just feels like no matter what I say, it's wrong. <laughs> And probably the the biggest one that I've that I've heard people say is, "I know exactly how you feel. I know, you know, I I've been there too. I know what you're feeling right now. I know exactly how you feel." Can you speak about that? If anyone shared that with you, or anyone in any way implied that to you during your situation, and if so, how did that how did that make you feel? <laughs> I hear the uh, therapist question, how did that make you feel? <laughs> um, so many times, and I'm guilty of this myself in a conversation, I like to seek comfort. It's easier for me to start talking about myself than it is to just be with the other person and to see how they feel. Um, I've heard, I've gotten a couple of different questions. I don't know if I've gotten exactly the, I don't, I know exactly how you feel. I do have friends who've miscarried and they've shared their stories. Um, but man, I'm, I'm sorry. That is the one that you heard. It's, it's a really tough one to, um, to have to listen to after you've gone through a loss. You don't want to hear, Oh, I know how you feel. It sounds like they're brushing, brushing off. They're brushing your pain away, um, off their shoulders. Um, there are, I, in my, not in my poetry book, but there's another book I'm working on, and it's not been published yet, um, but I talk in one of the chapters about things you say and things you don't say. Um, really, the most important thing is to be there with the person, not against the person, but with the person. Just sit there. It's okay to be silent. Um, just kind of gauge the situation and just feel it. Like, what does it feel like that person needs? Um, offer them meals. Bring them meals. Don't even ask if they want it. Bring it to them. You know, give them help. If they have other kids, give them help babysitting. Um, don't go around saying things like, you know, for me, in my case, at least you have four healthy kids already. Oh, I got that one a lot. I still get that one. <laughs> um, and I've tried to take things with grace. Like when I hear that one, which I've heard a lot, I just say, yes, I know, I know. Um, I am grateful for the four I have. And I just leave it at that because that person's not really um, ready to talk about it, I guess. And that's the thing is, you know, for those of us who've miscarried or had spouses who've miscarried, it's okay to inform a person. You're in a vulnerable spot right now and you hurt. It's okay to tell that person, yes, I have four kids, but the one I just lost was also one of my kids. 
And even though it hadn't, you know, this child hasn't been born yet, like my other kids were born healthy kids, there was still a death. The child died. I don't get to have that child here on earth with me. Um, and so instead of things like that, where, you know, they say, at least you have healthy ones already, or at least they're not in pain. At least they're in a better place. Oh, at least you can focus on the ones you have. Um, at least you know you can get pregnant. Uh, I do know there are people out there who can't get pregnant and who struggle with that or who've gotten pregnant and have not had live babies. Um, that's an equally different or equally difficult trial to experience. And the thing, like you're saying with yours, you can't compare. Each person's experience is unique. Um, so instead of those things, you can say, start out with, I'm sorry for your loss. Um, would you like to talk about how you're feeling? How can I help? And then always you want to ask the person of permission, can I give you a hug? Um, and you can let them know. Sometimes, You know, one of the things I found out is that sometimes people need permission. They need to hear those words. You have permission to hurt right now. What you've gone through is a really difficult tribulation. It's not something that you just jump over a hurdle and voila, you move on. It takes time to heal, and that's okay. So more than anything. Danielle, I I love that so much. Say that statement again, and, and, and maybe I'll help you repeat it, but giving them permission to be hurt. Did you, did I hear that right? Yeah. yeah you, just telling them, you know, you have permission to feel the pain right now. Yeah. You have permission to feel your hurt. Yeah. Why, why is that so important to you personally? Well, a lot of times, you know, internally, um, I have expected myself to just get over it um, because people don't like hearing it. I think I need to bury it. And I can't remember who it was. It may have been my therapist, which, hey, there is no shame in having a therapist, so I am saying this freely. Um, it may have been her. I can't remember who it was who said, um, you have permission. Is always a good way to start out a sentence with somebody. Hey, you have permission to feel the pain, to feel this hurt from your loss. And it kind of gives the person freedom. They feel they can open up to you, and there's no judgment. They don't feel like they have to shut down or be PC and play along with, you know, what's been taboo all this time. Yeah, I, that is, that's very profound to me. Um, Just to help others out, uh, my wife and I, we have a 12-year-old. She is amazing. Um, but prior to my daughter, we lost a child and, um, and I remember the pain that came with that. And, uh, by no means am I trying to, you know, say my pain's more amazing than Danielle's or more harder than hers, but, but we lost a child and, and a, a gentleman from church actually said to me that he knew exactly, uh, how I felt and what I was feeling and proceeded to explain to me that him and his wife had lost a child and and uh i was not very nice to him in my response i i actually said to him his name and then i said um you don't know how i'm feeling 
You don't know any how I'm feeling. You have no way to know how I'm feeling. And uh, I, I kind of, kind of got a little grouchy. <laughs> not a, not a very churchy answer. <laughs> but I say that because I think. And and Danielle, of course, speak to this when I'm done. I would love to get your response. Is I think we as a society don't know what to say, and so I think we try to fill that space, right? We try to fill that pause. We try to. You know, I've been in sales forever. We try to get on the same level with them. We try to mirror them. We try to do all these little, you know, mind tricks, if you will. But I think sometimes it's just best not to have a response. And just like you said, if anything, our response should be, hey, I know you're hurting. It's okay to hurt. Here's a hug. I'm here if you want to listen. You know, here if you want to talk, and I will just listen. Right? Mm-hmm. Very much so, for sure. And I like what you said there, um, how we try to mirror the person. We try to make kind of a sales pitch or whatnot and try to kind of get on their level and think that, hey, that might show empathy. Um, it's okay that another person has experienced it, of course, but for them to say, I know exactly what you're going through, that sounds like I was mentioning, um, it sounds like they're just kind of brushing you off. And saying, "Oh, I know what you're going through. I don't need to hear about your story. It's just that's what I, that's what I hear." Um, and yeah, instead of making that pitch and trying to get on their level by giving one of your own stories, it's so much better and so much helpful. More helpful. I can speak English much good. It's so much more helpful if you get on their level by saying, "Hey, I'm sorry for your loss." It's okay for you. You have permission right now to feel your pain, and I'm here for you. That's how you get on their level. That's how you let them know, hey, I'm seeing you. I see you right now. You don't get on their level by saying, hey, oh, I did that too. It's like when somebody comes up to you and says, hey, I just won whatever prize. I just won a million dollars. You don't say, oh, I did that too. What do you say? You say congratulations. You give a response that's appropriate to the situation. Um, and so it's the same thing in this case. It's the other end of the spectrum. It's not really an exciting thing. You know, like if somebody's had a healthy baby, you know, you go up to them and you say congratulations. You don't just say, hey, I had one too. Or I remember exactly what that was like. It's not what you say. So you give a situationally appropriate response. And like I was mentioning um, in my list of things not to say versus do say, the most important thing you can do is listen and just be there for the person and with them. And yeah, like you said, you don't have to say anything. You can say, I'm sorry for your loss and I'm here for you. Sometimes that's all they need to know. But again, I, I think we, we fail human beings. We fail society. We fail our friends. We fail whoever. When we, again, play the almost like one-up game i think that's kind of almost what you're implying there like you know hey i've done this well i've done that well i went through this pain well i went through this pain you know the the one-uppers of the world right yeah and Mm -hmm. and and in me sharing my story my my wife and i's experience by any means is not trying to one-up what danielle and her family went through i'm just trying to say that for me this is a hard topic because for years I personally, as a man, didn't know if I was allowed to really be sad 
I personally didn't know or, or didn't understand it. You know, I, again, I always thought it was, you know, it's more my wife's thing. That's her thing. That's not my thing, you know, and, and it's taken a while to get to a point where I can even talk about it with people, you know, and share that. And I, I don't, I mean, obviously now it's open out in the open, you know, it's on the show, but, um, I don't share, share that to, again, dismiss anything that, that you're saying, because to me, that's not what it's about. Um, your story has, has just as much power as my story does. And, uh, so anyway, so with that, how, how has this shaped you and your identity and kind of who you are in going through this process? Um, so first I want to touch on that, uh, gender differences thing. Um, and then we'll talk about how it shaped me. Um, there's a book that's called Swallowed by a Snake and it talks about the gift of the masculine side of healing. So there are gender differences. Um, there are actual physical differences. Um, so men don't produce as much of the hormone prolactin. Um, so generally speaking, men don't have um, as much access to the use of emotional tears, to quote the book. Um, it's emotion, uh, the prolactin is the hormone that's instrumental in emotional tear production. And it seems that levels drop at the time that a young boy enters um, adolescence. So that, along with um, the corpus callosum, which is the part of the brain that connects the two hemispheres, um, it, and this is not a dig on men at all, I hope it's not taken that way, um, it's thicker in women's brains than men's. So the corpus callosum is a structure that connects the two hemispheres, and one hypothesis theorizes that this difference gives a woman greater connection between her verbal capacity and her feelings, and leaves a man feeling less able to verbalize his feeling state. Now, this is from the book. This isn't me saying men are terrible at this. But each person, and yeah, it's looked at as taboo because men tend to be more of the hunters and the women the gatherers. So the men just are used to following orders and doing things and not so much feeling things like women do. That's also another taboo thing. Um, but yeah, I just wanted to touch on that. Um, and then also to go into, you know, men are allowed there are people as well i mean they have feelings they can put their hand on the stove too and say ouch that hurts when it's hot and and the same when you go through uh, when your wife goes through a miscarriage you have to watch the person you love go through a pain that's pretty intense and so when you do that it's obviously you know gonna tug your heartstrings too and so you're, you're allowed to feel it's you know um, yeah, the man is seen as the primary caretaker, not the same in every household, but um, and in ours it is. And, um, you know, it was hard for both of us as we went through this. It's, it's, it varies from couple to couple, and each couple is allowed to feel how they feel. Um, so I touched on that. But then, um, so it's how has it shaped me? Um, so like I had mentioned before, I go from being this happy-go-lucky, fearless, love everything pregnancy and birth related as I mentioned I'm a doula I've not been certified I need to attend some births and get out there but what I used to love so much it's really hard for me now um, to gain the confidence to go out there and to be with another woman as she's going through one of the most important experiences in her life and to not allow my experience 
of loss enter my head in that moment. Um, because when it does, it impacts me and I know it. Um, so this is one of my fears I'm currently trying to get over. That which before I was so excited to, you know, hopefully get into one of these things after I stopped having, you know, after I finished having kids. Well, I didn't mean have losses, so I had the time. I meant like, you know, at the point when I'm naturally finished <laughs> having kids. And so that, and so now I kind of have this whole fear of pregnancy. I mean, yeah, I would be fine with another one, but there would definitely be a lot of fear with it. And there's also fear, not just with pregnancy, but with um, just losing somebody close to me. It's not just babies, but just anybody who's close to me, any family member, anything like that. I mean, I know death happens, but it's like I fear it happening sooner than it should or sooner than expected, kind of like what happened with the miscarriages. And that's just another side effect, so to speak, of the original loss. I mean, just so many emotions go into this. And so many after effects linger. They don't just, you know, happen for a few weeks. They just kind of linger. And it's something that is a daily battle. Um, you know, of course, I combat that with prayer, but still, I mean, I have to constantly be on watch. I have to constantly, or I do constantly think about it. And I'm trying to get rid of that, but it's hard to just drop it, you know. So it's, it's an effect that it just lingers. It stays with you for the rest of your life. I don't know if that answered all the questions. No, I, I hope it I, did. I think okay. it did. I think you did great uh, answering that. Thank you again for that. Um, so help me out. You, you've, you've said it a few times, and maybe we haven't defined it, and so that's my fault. But what is a doula? Help us, help us understand that terminology. So what I've trained as, I have trained and certified as a stillbirth day doula, which um, a doula is another woman who is the, it's a Greek term. It comes from the Greek term doule, and it means handmaid. So in the Bible, Mary said to the angel Gabriel, I am God's doule. I am his handmaid. Be it done unto me according to his word. And so a doule, or a doula, as we say in English, is a handmaid, essentially. But we accompany mothers um, during labor and delivery. Um, we really, um, we don't make any medical decisions. We're there to just provide emotional and physical support. That's not medically related. So things like, you know, giving them, oh, I can't think of words here, but just kind of lifting them up and also, um, you know, just helping them be physically comfortable and for lack of better term, I'm trying to stay away from the medical side of things here, but helping them get into the best positions um, for the baby to be born um, as they'd like. And it's really so supporting like a, the mom. like a birth coach almost. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Absolutely. All right. Yeah, that helped. That helped my boy brain. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm no, that's okay. <laughs> no, you're good. Like I'm like I I know I was like she said that a couple of times now. Uh, Neil, come on, get on that. <laughs> so that was more for me. Oh no. That was more for me. So, and anyone else? It's like what's a doula? She said it a couple of times. Anyway, um. <laughs> So, so here's where I'm at with this, with this thing, <clears throat> with this situation. I'm curious, how have your friends treated you and how have others treated you 
in regards to this and what kind of support system did you receive or not receive during this time? Well, um, so being in Northern Virginia and being a member of um, a huge parish, um, and, and I'm friends, you know, since we homeschool, I'm friends with a lot of moms in the homeschool arena. And um, it's funny because when you go through something like this, they come out of the woodwork. People you didn't know miscarried before, you know, they can sit there and they will talk with you and listen to you. And it was amazing, um, the support I received from, from everybody. Uh, you know, my husband, you know, was here. He, you know, took me to and from appointments. He was, of course, my rock, as best he could be. And, um, of course, as I was mentioning earlier in the book, Swallowed by a Snake, it's easier for women to um, express emotions and hear them, be able to relate to them generally speaking, than it is for men to do that. And so having having my mom's rent was a great, great support um, that I really couldn't have done without. And, of course, my therapist as well. Um, <laughs> all these people have helped to bring me where I am today. Um, you know, just lifting me up and just feeding me back my words because I... <laughs> In my poems, I, I do tend to have a very um, religious theme, you know, always trying to look towards, you know, light, look towards God. So um, the theme is having hope through the sorrow leads to joy. It was actually the theme of one of my pastor's sermons uh, a couple months after I lost Mark, my first miscarriage. And that has kind of been my theme throughout this. Um of course my pastor and a lot of the words he's mentioned in his homilies some of those days you know homilies you feel like are just directed right at you well that was one of those times <laughs> um so just it's just a whole group of people that without them and without their words of wisdom and without their just kind of i don't know i'll say things to them in the right moments and then they'll remember those and then they'll say them back to me in the moments i need to hear them uh, so I kind of have to take my own medicine, <laughs> so to speak. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I've just had a great group of people, um, including the director of um, an apostolate in our church. It's called a mom's peace. They help moms bury their babies that have been born too soon. And, you know, she's been with me throughout this whole thing. And uh, a very, very godly woman. And, um, yeah. I know I don't know if she knows I'm saying her name on here, but or mentioning her on here, but she's a great person, um, and I'm glad I've encountered her. I knew her before this, but I really got to know her once these miscarriages happened, and she's um, definitely been a good sounding board. And even now, we still talk, and it's been great in, in the best sense of the word, in the best way it could be after a loss. That's so amazing that you've had a great support system because I would imagine going through this situation, can you imagine trying to walk through it alone, what that would have been like? Oh, that would have been uh, unimaginable. I can't can't fathom it. So that leads into my next thing is if a lady right now is listening or perhaps a male who has, you know, a lady in his life who they're walking through this currently or who have experienced this on, on, you know, whatever the level may be, whatever the stage may be, but 
losses still occurred. What advice and what would you tell them? So for, for the male, um, you know, just be there with your woman, you know, um, she really, this is, I know, I know one of the man things tends to be wanting to fix stuff and that's okay. That's great. That's necessary. It's good to have things fixed, but this is one of those things, um, that can't be fixed. And it's hard after a loss for the mother, sorry, I'm stumbling over my words for the mother to have the courage to say, Hey, I don't need this to be fixed. I just need you to listen and I need you to be with me. And so for the male, you know, just be with your wife or your, you know, your woman, just listen to her and meet her where she is. Talk with her. Don't just be the wall, but listen. And for the woman, hey, you know, more than anything, it's okay to, to talk about it. Talk about it. People may feel uncomfortable, but it's not their loss. They're not hurting right now. And you need to talk to somebody, usually. I mean, do what you need to do, but if you need to talk, talk. Find somebody close to you and tell somebody, say, hey, I need you to listen right now. Because sometimes they may not know. And sometimes, this is what I have found, people need to know. The best way that people are going to stop saying the things that we say don't, you know, don't say, like, hey, at least you have four healthy kids. The best way is for us to teach them. And in our most vulnerable moments, when we're feeling this to the extreme, it's the best moment to teach them. When they say those things, say, hey, right now, I need you to say, I need to talk about how I'm feeling. Or, you know, I need to talk about this a lot. And I need you to be with me. Just be with me. And it's okay to say that. You don't have to hold it in. And I think that's very important for women and the men who have gone through this loss and who need to talk about it. Anybody who needs to talk about it, male or female, you know what? You're not weak. You're very strong for bringing this up, this most difficult topic. It's so hard to bring it up in this society where this has been taboo. And the fact that you're doing it, you're making strides to making talking about this normal. And that shows strength. Yeah. Again, I, I, I just love that. Love that idea and love that advice. You know, don't be afraid. Don't walk in the shame. Don't walk in the shadow any longer, but come, you know, kind of come out into the light and be okay with it. So, uh, Hello? I want to, I want to hopefully, there we go. Can you hear me now? There we go. <laughs> I can hear you now. <laughs> so as I was saying, you know, I love what you're saying there. I, I love that insight, that advice that, you know, people don't have to walk in the shame and the shadow any longer, that they can come out into the light and they can speak about this freely and be okay with it and, you know, not be afraid to, to talk about how they feel. So uh, just great stuff there. This is amazing to me. And I want to, sh- I want to share this with you. And this isn't even mine. This, this, this is something you gave us, and that's this. Having hope through sorrow leads to joy. Why is that so impactful for you? So being a person of faith, um, you know, it really, especially as we're in the season of Lent right now, we think a lot about the sorrows that Christ went through and the pains that his mother Mary went through. And that phrase, having hope through the sorrow, just kind of helps remind me how Mary who knew her son was going to go through this, 
but yet she still had hope because she knew it was God and she knew that joy would come of it. Happiness would come after this. There's always a rainbow after the storm. And I've come to find out um, that rainbow is not always a baby. It's not always a rainbow baby, you know, or, you know, your rainbow baby may be something like um, over a hundred poems that ended up being published. It could be your, you know, what was your journal, just your reflections of your miscarriage ending up being edited and about to be published, you know, and I know not everybody writes, but you know, what's your, you know, like Jen Fulweiler says, what's your blue flame? What is your passion? You may find a different one after this, but this hope through this sorrow is going to lead you to a joy greater than what you knew before. And, um, and going back to Christ, you know, he died for us. He, he went through that suffering that, and Mary went through that sorrow of watching, but through it all, she kept the hope. And of course, after she saw the joy on Easter day of him rising from the dead. So everybody, you too are going to rise from these, you know, ashes, so to speak, you know, from dust you were created unto dust you will return, but you will rise from those ashes. God made you for more than that. You're, you're more than the sum of your pain and more than the sum of your sorrows. So have hope through that. And through that pain, you, you'll find joy. Joy will happen. Thank you so much for that, Danielle. Again, just, just great, 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 great insight. So uh, as we kind of wrap up, how can people get the book if they're interested and, and where can they do that? So right now I have it on Amazon. Um, the book is called Holding On, and it's called Poems on Coping with Loss After Miscarriage. Um, right now it's on Amazon. I am working on having it reformatted because there's a few formatting issues there. Um, but it's there. And, uh, you know, the content really what, what will help people. I've shared it with friends, and it's helped them um, through their losses. So if you'd like to go for that, that's where it is, Amazon. It's got the Kindle version and it's got a paperback. Perfect. So we can, uh, you'll send us some links on that and we'll link them in our show notes so folks can take a look at that if they need to maybe get it in the hands of someone who has experienced this or maybe they themselves have experienced this type of loss. So we do play a game at the end of our show. If you're open to a game, I know we've kind of had some real serious topics here, but it's always kind of have a little fun to have a little levity, would you say? Oh, of course. Okay, good. So we're open to that. So uh, so this is a game we like to play senseless. And so we have six random questions on a six-sided die. So I have it in my hand. I'm currently shaking it and rolling it. And you, Miss Drew, a number six. So you're going to have to take my word for it because you're not here. You're in Virginia. I, so that's a little <laughs> far away to to really verify this, but... Oh, it's almost like this question was picked for you. Number six. Uh, you can have dinner with one person, dead or alive. Who would it be and why? And where are you going to dinner? Oh, oh man. <laughs> well, um, since we, we had two miscarriages, that would be hard to pick. I guess um, we'll allow a second person. I was going to say, let's bring Mark and Lucy to the table. Okay. Um, and those, and of course, are the children that you lost. No. Yeah, so the first was Mark and the second was Lucy. And since I'm part Italian, 
and I love Italian cuisine. Let's go to Five Guys. Um, <laughs> That's not <laughs> Italian cuisine, is it? Is Five Guys Italian? No, it's not. I was like, isn't it a burger place? Like, I don't know what it is in Virginia, but in Oregon, it's it's uh, it's a burger place. There's a huge joke in there. It doesn't okay. matter where we go. I tend to go for burgers. Gotcha. Okay. Um, All right. You, you threw me off with the Italian thing is why. I'm like, what? Oh, hold on. Yeah. Okay. So you're going to Five Guys. Oh, yeah. What do you What do you guys talk about? Uh, you know, hey, what happened first off and what's heaven like? You know, what's God's plan for me? I know. Deep questions, right? Deep questions. Um, but, yeah, you know. Or what, what would you guys have done what, if you were here? What would have happened if I carried you to terms? You know, sometimes you wonder if there would have been something that happened at the birth if it was a full-term healthy baby. You know? The what would have been and the what could have been. Those would definitely be in, in the conversation. Yeah, I, I sometimes always wonder about that question, like who I sit with. People have asked me that a time or two, you know, through the years. And, you know, it, it it's just one of those questions that just, at least in my mind, lets my imagination get a little crazy, right, in a good way, you know, right? And, oh, and, yeah. and the idea of, you know, you can ask anything, you have that opportunity. But I always feel like if that were to ever happen, I always feel like I would walk away wanting more. Like that meal, I would want that meal never to end, right? Oh, yeah. I would just right want it to me, stay with me forever. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I never want the good moments to end. Yeah. Nobody wants to leave Disneyland or, in your case, Disney no, World. Who... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> My side of the world. <laughs> so who would you have Who would you have dinner with? Oh, man. I, I, I go back and forth. Um, I really... You know, if I was going to say right now, this this answer changes all the time. Um, but I think right now, and in, in, in honestly, everything that we've been talking about, I I probably would, would echo what you said, not your children. Um, I would not, I mean, not that they, not that I wouldn't want to eat with them. They're probably wonderful people. But um, I think I would probably, I would, I would, yeah, I would want to see what our first child was like and experience and you know, we, we weren't as far as long as you were. So, um, but I would, and I would probably want to bring my daughter and my wife. So I'm breaking my own rule of, you know, one person. <laughs> it's my show. You know I can what? break the rule if I want, too. right? Yeah. You'd have to bring your oh, whole yeah, family, you're... which that's a hefty bill at oh, five okay. guys. I would imagine. <laughs> yeah. There's, yeah. That would be like six of us. Yeah. Or wait, no, eight of us. I, I can math. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's like, oh, yeah. it's like a $500 yeah. bill probably. I don't, I don't know. Maybe less. But, uh, but Danielle, you are a delight. Thank you so much for coming on. Thank you for sharing your story with us. Thank you for giving us an opportunity to get into your flip-flops really today because we can't really say <laughs> shoes because they're really flip-flops. But, but I just want to tell you, it, I think it is such a great encouragement what you're doing, and I really hope the best for you and obviously wish you success with, with the endeavors of reaching out and kind of ministering to women who have walked through such a traumatic time in their life. And I just wish you all the best in that. Well, thank you, Neil. And thanks for having me on your show. As I had mentioned, I'm, I'm really humbled and grateful for your kindness. You've extended me today. 
Well, we do. We we just try to get in other people's shoes, and so I guess with that, we we're gonna we're gonna get out of here. So with that, Danielle's gonna hang out with us just a little bit longer. But uh, I'm gonna say goodbye for now. This, of course, has been other people's shoes. Remember, when you walk in other people's shoes, you really do get a different perspective on life. Have you thought about trying on someone's shoes lately? Have you really thought about being where they're walked and what they've walked through? Before we respond, let it be a word of caution to us. Not everything in life requires a response. Sometimes there's maturity in not responding to just love that person. So, again, this is, of course, Other People's Shoes. I'm your host, Neil Matthews. Of course, join us back right here next week as we try on Other People's Shoes. Thank you so much for joining us on Other People's Shoes. Of course, you know I'm your host, Neil Matthews. Gotta be honest, this week's episode hit me kind of in a strange place. I We talked about some things that I have not talked about, honestly, in a, in a couple of years. And I'm just excited that we got to sit with Danielle today and really dig into her story. So much of her story, I think, needs to be told and should be told freely. And I'm grateful and thankful for her coming on and sharing some very painful times in her life. But hopefully... It will bring hope and healing to so many others, which is our goal. By the way, if you'd like to hear past, present, and future episodes of this show, that can be done and found at OPSpodcast.com. That, of course, is a great place to bookmark, save on your phone, or save on your computer or your tablet, and, of course, come back to it each and every Wednesday. By the way, if you'd like to give to the show financially in any way to help get this message of empathy and, and understanding and perspective to the masses, to this world, we, of course, have linked our PayPal account down below. You, of course, can give generously as you so feel led to do. We, of course, are a nonprofit organization, so that, of course, is a tax-deductible gift. By the way, speaking of gifts, we have a gift for you next week. Here's a sneak preview of our guest. I'm actually helping people. I'm actually doing a lot of good. And then the great jazz for me in the whole thing was when I realized if I put a little bit extra thought into it, little bit of creativity, a little bit of imagination, and really think outside the box, which is highly encouraged in my profession, I could do a lot of good. I could solve a lot of problems. And that just started turning into a big motivator for me. And then detectives was always the goal for me. Even when I was in patrol, I was, guys used to call me the field detective because I always did extensive follow-up on all my cases. I figured if I'm gonna take a report, I'm going to take an arrest report. That's right. We're going to sit down with a former retired police detective, a good friend of mine. His name is Paul. He is going to be shedding some insight and some perspective on law enforcement. You will not want to miss that. That'll happen, of course, on Wednesday. If you have questions about the show or feedback or just want to tell Garrett he's doing an amazing job, of course, feel free to do that. That can be done at 203-548-7463. That's 203-548-7463. 7463 or shoe and of course if you'd like to like us follow us tweet us all that kind of social media stuff that can be done at ops podcast show all of our social medias are now under that one simple name pretty easy and of course remember when you walk in other people's shoes you really do get a different perspective on life on behalf of garrett and myself we want to right invite you back here next week of course, on Wednesday as we try on other people's shoes.